Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Guys, I am, I am so excited about what Jesus is doing through Hope Church. I'm so excited that you're here and you're a part of this. If you're with us here today for the first time, and if I haven't met you, I'm Pastor Josh, and I want to tell you that um, we just have such a high priority for the presence of the Lord here at our church that that we're not afraid to call audibles when we need to call audibles and do things a little differently. My whole sermon this morning is an audible. I, um, I had a completely different intention for where I thought we were going to go today. And I'm really happy when God interrupts that. And, and what that signals to me and, and should signal to you as well, when God does something like that, when the Lord adjusts the direction for a service or a time that we're together, that should signal to us that he wants to speak something specifically, that, that there is an anointing from God in our midst today that is prophetic, that God wants to say something that we need to listen to. And um, if you grew up like I did in charismatic church, when you say a word like prophetic, we, we have an idea of what that looks like. Thus saith the Lord. It, it's not one of those messages today. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a word of prophecy just given to edify, but this is a, this is a specific word from the Lord for our church, for the season that we're in. So it's, it's not as much of a spontaneous word like maybe what we're used to. But this, I believe, is intentional from, from the Lord. And so I wrote my, I have just a few notes. I scratched them on a piece of paper yesterday. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, you know that I don't function like that. <laughs> That's not how I operate. Pretty, as far as, you know, typical. I'm usually fairly methodical and planned. But... I believe that there's a prophetic anointing in our house this morning and that God is going to speak something to us that we need to hear. It's not going to be heavy and it's not going to be condemning. It's going to be exciting and encouraging. And I'm here to tell you, if you're with us this morning, if you're watching online and you're part of our church and you couldn't be with us today, I want to, I want to tell you, for those who are here, just take a look around. This is the smallest this place is ever going to be. This is the smallest that this place is ever going to be. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate nine years as a church. And I was thinking about this yesterday and I actually made myself laugh at my dining room table because I thought nine years, that's a long, that's like almost a decade. And then I started to think about what's happened and transpired since October, 13, uh, October 6th, 2013, when we started this church. And, and here's what I said to myself that made me laugh yesterday. Nine years. Well, the first five don't count because we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So I'm honest. I'm transparent. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. It was, it was us. It was the Hensleys. There's one Hensley in this room this morning. Well, actually, there's, there's a couple of you over there. Elijah's pretty much a man now at this point. Elijah was, I don't know, just a few years old when we started this church, but... It was, it was Andrew and Vanessa Hensley, 
It was Perry and Joy Conklin. It was my wife and I and my parents. And we did not know what we were doing. And we started from nothing. And I thought, man, those first five years, it took us a little while to figure that out. So those don't count. I said, well, that leaves four years. Well, two of those four years were COVID. So that doesn't count. (laughs) I told you I made myself laugh. Two of those years were COVID and we had to refigure everything out again. So those don't count. So I'm excited to tell you that with Pastor Ron and Denise here, we're going to be celebrating our second anniversary <laughs> as a church. And you are, you are part of and invited to be part of the ground floor of what God is doing at Hope Church. I am so thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that as he has led us and guided us and as we figured stuff out, he is still showing up. I mean, he's still showing up when we meet and we gather together despite the fact that we're still figuring things out. A verse that has become my, a, a cornerstone of my personal devotional life is, is in 2 Corinthians. It's actually the very last verse of 2 Corinthians. It's in chapter 13. And Paul is closing his letter. It's the very last thing he says to the Corinthian church. He says that we might know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Those three phrases guide my personal devotional prayer life every single day. I wake up every morning and I go sit on my couch and I tell the Lord, Lord, today I want to receive your love. Father, I want to receive your love. Holy Spirit, or excuse me, Jesus, I want to know your grace. And Holy Spirit, I want to take part in fellowship with you. Now I'll preach a series about that coming up here pretty soon. But um, this is what the Lord is leading us into. He's leading our church into an understanding of the love of the Father. Because it's the love of the Father that gives way for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to work in our lives. And it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that opens the door for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is God's plan for your life. So we're going to be talking about that, not today, but in some coming weeks. Next week, I'm going to uh, give a little State of the Union. My my sermon next week is going to be like a little State of the Union. We're going to talk about... I'm going I'm to remind us of the vision that God gave us in February of this year. We're crossing over into the fourth quarter of the year. We have three months left in this year, beginning in October. We got three months to, to press on in what God has called us to for the year 2022. It ain't over. Amen? It ain't over. And I'm going to share with you how God has strategically brought some of that vision to pass and, and some of it was rather quick in the beginning of the year. So I'm going to give you like a, just a top to bottom state of the union of our church, the health of our church. We are a very healthy church. Can I tell you that? We're a healthy church. And, uh, and the beautiful thing about healthy churches is, and healthy things is that healthy things grow. So I'm excited to share that with you. I just got a text message that my doctor's appointment is a reminder for tomorrow. Tomorrow at one, I'm going to see the doctor just so everybody knows I gotta find a way to silence those self those the text messages anyways 
I want to say thank you. Uh, I, he's at a Thunder Sunday this, this morning, but uh, Brother Keith Honeycutt last week delivered an awesome word. Who, who, how many of you received from Brother Keith last week? Was that amazing? Thank you because my, my wife and I were able to get away for two and a half days and go to the beach with no children, and it was spectacular. We ate too much food. Uh, we, we, we laughed. Y'all, we laughed more last weekend, particularly on the drive home. We started listening to some funny stuff, and we, I mean, pounding the steering wheel, crying, laughing. We laughed together, and it was phenomenal. It's so good, and I, I, I want to say thank you for being, for remaining faithful even when we had to get away. Thank you for being here. And, and uh, I saw uh, Keith and Gwen this week. Uh, we were at the, at the Hope Pregnancy fundraiser. Brianne and I were on Thursday night, and, and Keith and Gwen were there. And, uh, and I talked to him and I said, Keith, your message was outrageous. I said, I listened to it while we were cleaning the condo afterwards. I said, I listened to the whole thing. And I, I said, I want you to know, I gave my life to Jesus at the end of that sermon. I said, I want you to know, man, I don't know about you. If you've been saved for a while, I wanted to get saved again. Listening to that was awesome. Y'all that was incredible. So thank you. Uh, this is, I want to invite you to get your Bibles and um, don't open them yet, but just have them ready. <laughs> I was going to preach on hope. Will you stay with me for the whole day? Is that okay? All right, thanks. Well, the whole sermon. Um, this, is a, this is a right now word for our church. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the status of culture and and where we find ourselves as Christians in 2022. And I want to talk to you about what I what I believe the answer is. And um, I want to start by by saying that you know culture has changed substantially in the last five years in the last 10 years, in the last 25 years. Um, can I see a, just a show of hands? Who was raised in church? If you were raised in church, could I see your hands? Most of us, most of us raised in church. How many of you have been going to church longer than 20 years? Longer than 30 years? Longer than 40 years? Longer than 50 years? Anybody? Oh yeah, all right. We got a few hands up. The church of 50 years ago and the culture of 50 years ago are different. They've changed a lot. Um, culture has shifted in a big way. And when I say culture, I'm talking about in, in the United States, in the Western world at large, but in particular in the United States of America. Our culture has shifted and it's shifted away, in, away from what has been comfortable for all of us who grew up in church. Is that safe to say? Does that make sense? You know, when we were, when I was, I grew up in church, I was almost born in church. I mean, it was just, we, we went to church because that's what we did, because we're a church family, because we're Christians, and, and, and our life revolves around the ministry, and our life revolves around church. My, my parents were pastors, and my, you know, my, my family's been in the ministry my whole life. And so church is really all I know, and so 
growing up in a culture that was friendly to church is a comfort for me. And maybe it's a comfort for you as well. But what I've observed in the last 15, the last 10, the last five, the last two years is a shifting. And there's a reason that I believe that culture has shifted. And, and the reason is that time is going on and generations are moving. Older generations are past, newer generations are being born. And when generations change, the, the cultural and spiritual climate of a nation or a region changes with the generations. Does that make sense? I believe that we're coming into and already are in an age where culture is defined now not by community and fellowship around the word of God and the principles of the, of the word, but that now our culture is what I would call secular and humanist, humanistic. Another way to say it would be secular hedonism. That's a dirty sounding word, but I'm going to tell you what those two words mean. The word secular is the word which means there's no religious or spiritual basis for anything. Do you, do you notice or have you noticed that that culture now does not seem to have a spiritual basis for anything? I would, I would use the word secular and I would use it this way. I would call it godless. Just void of God. You know, 50 years ago, families, even families that weren't really living like Christians still went to church on Sunday together because it was just, that was the culture. That was the norm, right? Well, the norm has changed. And, 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 and at the beginning of that, just at the outset, that, that pushes me immediately out of my comfort zone because my comfort zone is we all go to church and we're all happy because we go to church together because we're one big family and we're a country that loves Jesus. And even if you don't really love Jesus, you still come to church and we still go and eat afterwards. That's changing. Culture now is secular. It means it has no religious or spiritual basis. It's hedonistic or humanistic, which the word hedonism means the pursuit of self-indulgent pleasure. So the idea of, of secular hedonism is this, godless selfishness. That's, that's, that's the world. That's culture. We can no longer rest on the comfort of all the people around us, even though they may not really be seeking God, at least they know who God is and they have an understanding of, of, the, of the basic tenets of Christianity and, and, and you know, there's, there's comfort in that. We rest in that. Because I'm here to tell you, we've, we've preached to Christians for 25 years, for 50 years in church. We've, we've preached to Christians even the people that came in off the, off the streets that weren't living as Christians, they still knew that God was real and they still had an understanding of God. They still knew Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what that meant. But now, people that come through the doors, they have no understanding of that at all. This is the way that the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart. Is, real quick, let me ask this question. Does anybody in here speak any Asian languages? just want to make sure because I'm about to make a statement, but I don't want to leave you out. 
Here's the statement that the Lord put in my heart yesterday. To the current culture, their understanding of the kingdom of God is the equivalent of your and my understanding of a Chinese phone book. You ever see an ad that was written in in Mandarin Chinese or Korean or, 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 or something like that? You don't know what that looks like. You know what that means. I mean, it's like if you see a word in Spanish, you're like, oh, baño. Yeah, I know what that's talking about. You can at least figure it out because the alphabet's the same. There's an there's a opportunity for you to translate that and figure out what that sign means that's in Spanish or French or, or something like that. But if you were to go, if you were to, go to, to Beijing or you were to go to Seoul, South Korea, we don't have any idea what those languages represent. We don't know what those signs and symbols mean. That's how foreign the gospel is to the culture that's coming up around us. They don't have a clue. It challenges my comfort zone as a Christian, as a person who's been a Christian really my whole life. That challenges my comfort because I feel like, oh, I'm going into a world that's, that totally cannot relate to me. But as I have thought on this and meditated on this and allowed the Spirit of God to minister to me around this concept, I've shifted from being uncomfortable to being overwhelmingly excited. Because the darker that the dark gets, the easier that it is for the light to impact the darkness. If I was to light a candle in this room right now, no one would notice. And that's how the church has been for a hundred years in America. The only light that has been seen has been the big revivals. Oh, God's doing something big and there's a huge bonfire in some part of the country. And we go, whoo, let's go. Let's go to Pensacola. See what God's doing there. Let's go out. Oh, oh man, Bethel in Northern California is experiencing a blow up of the anointing of God and the power of God. Let's go check that out. And we run from fire to fire to fire. But as the light in the cultural mind of our country gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, as generations progress, as time goes on, the littlest flicker makes a much bigger impact. We have parents who are scared. I understand. I relate to this. I have kids all under the age of 15. We we have parents who are scared. I I don't know if I can send my child to school because I feel like I'm sending them into darkness. You are. But the beauty of this is they go into darkness and they don't look like the darkness. And they go into their school and they're a, they're a light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that, that, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The church of the Lord Jesus in Boone, North Carolina and everywhere else is on the edge of an opportunity to shine a brighter light and have the deepest impact 
that we have been able to have in generations because the Lord is separating. Culture is, is separating a remnant of people who will, who will still love Jesus no matter what the outside world looks like and no matter what the, what the world may say. There's a, there's a remnant of people that are still going to love God and cherish God and the, the brightness of that light is going to shine and penetrate the darkness. The scripture calls this the spirit of the age. And I don't have time to teach on that so much as to continue in this. But, but there's a, there, there's, there's a, the, the kingdom of darkness is at work. And it's time that we not be intimidated by that. And it's time that we not let that challenge and defeat our, us because of comfort. It's time that we, that we not get so concerned with the darkness that, we, that, that our natural reaction is to, let me just be quiet, go live in a commune, and be untouched by the world. That's actually what religion would have us to do, is to go hide out. Go hide out on the backside of a mountain somewhere, and we'll build a nice little walled city. Right? No, God's calling us to go into the darkness. I asked the Lord for a scripture. Y'all doing okay? I, I promise you that this, this kind of starts out a little bit on the negative side. I'm not trying to be fearful. It's about to get real, real exciting. I, I asked the Lord for a scripture and I was pondering in my heart, what is a verse that actually could, could encapsulate what I'm saying to you? Because I you know me, I, I like to preach from the Bible, not from Josh's book of opinions, right? At the end of the day, you don't need what I think about anything. You need the word. Jesus, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. What is the rock? Is the revelation of Jesus is Lord. Where does that come from? This comes from this word right here. Amen. So I asked the Lord, like, what is a verse? That, that could like wrap, that, that, that could help us wrap our heads around what's going on in culture. And he took me to Exodus chapter one. Exodus chapter one. Oh man. <laughs> I'm, I am happier right now than I can even let on. Exodus chapter one, and it's verse eight. You're going to be like, what is this talking about? Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There arose a new king, a new pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. I like the way that it reads in the NIV. It reads it this way. There arose a new king in Egypt to whom Joseph meant nothing. Now, I want to just give you a very quick snapshot of Joseph if you don't recall who he is. Joseph was the deliverer of his family during 14 years of difficulty in the land. Egypt was the, at that time, was the world power. 
You remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob being the grandson of Abraham. Jacob was the father of Joseph. Jacob was the father of 12 sons who ultimately became the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and God, through, through a, an amazing series of events, God brought Joseph into the kingdom of Egypt and elevated Joseph to a position where he was second in the country. He was the vice president of the nation of Egypt. And as a result, and as of God's hand on Joseph, Egypt prospered under the, under the governance of Joseph. And time went on, and, 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 and Jacob and his whole family moved into Egypt because Joseph was there. And Joseph, because of, his, because of God's hand on his life, the nation of Egypt absolutely prospered. They have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Joseph, Joseph prophesied it to the king of, of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and he said, you're going to have seven years of plenty, then you're going to have seven years of famine. Here's what you do during the seven years of plenty. You save up, and then during the seven years of famine, you're going to be blessed, and the world is going to come to you. And that's exactly what happened. So God elevated Joseph to this place, and his family came in and became part of the nation of Egypt. <laughs> Or well, they lived in the nation of Egypt. And then Exodus starts by telling us that time went on and generations changed and there arose a king in Egypt to whom Joseph meant nothing. I'm here to tell you there has arisen a king. There has arisen a culture. There has arisen an ideology in our world, to whom the name of Jesus means nothing. There has arisen, I'm not talking about a person, I'm not talking about a system, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about politics, I'm not talking about education, I'm not, talking, I'm not pointing at any one thing. I'm saying the spirit of our age, what has become in the world around us, in America, in the West, in all, in all kinds of places, there has arisen a king for whom Joseph meant nothing. There has arisen a culture to whom the name of Jesus means nothing. It's, it's almost like the Roman Empire. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a wild place. If you've ever done your homework, we, 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 get disturbed and frustrated at the immorality that we see in our nation. If you think it's bad, I draw your attention to two times in history when it was worse. The height of the Roman Empire, immorality was far worse than it is today. The kings and in, in the, well, I'm not going to say that because there's young people in the room. It was bad. The second time was the days of Noah. The Bible, the Bible says that all of the earth, all of the hearts of men and women in the days of Noah were perpetually only evil. It was so bad that God said, I have to wipe this place out and start over. It's not, it's not that bad in your school system yet. But it pushes us outside of our comfort zone because we see a world around us to whom the name of Jesus means nothing. At first, I would be discouraged by this and say, this is, 
This is awful. This is terrible. Our culture needs to reflect our values as the people of God. And I believe that that's true, but, I, but I, I'm not getting discouraged by it anymore because now I'm saying, oh my God, this is the best news ever. Paul went to Ephesus during the height of the Roman Empire and preached Jesus to them and the world's first megachurch was born. History teaches us that the church at Ephesus, y'all think, y'all think Joel Osteen's church is big. The, the church at Ephesus was between 60 and 90,000 people and they didn't have a media ministry. They didn't. They didn't have next steps. <laughs> right? Frankie was not there. You weren't there, were you? I didn't think so. They... They're what they, none of these things that we have and hold dear and, and the things we think are so sacred, the church didn't have those then. What did they have? They had the word of God and they had the spirit of God. They had spirit and truth, spirit and truth, spirit and truth, spirit and truth. And they took spirit and truth into the darkness of the Roman Empire and turned the world upside down. Here's why it's better to preach to people who don't know anything about Jesus is that they have no grounds on which to refute you. you pre- listen, you preach Jesus to religious people, you're going to get an argument. You preach Jesus to secular humanists, and they're going to go, oh, that's what I've been looking for. Oh, that's the peace. Oh, my God, you said I could have peace. I've been looking for peace. I've been going to every yogi and ashram and every Eastern religion. I've been going to every drug and every alcohol. I've been going to every counselor and everything I can find to look for that peace. And you tell me that that peace can live in me 24-7? What must I do to be saved, brethren? What must I do to be saved? I'm telling you, we are in the generation of the what must I do to be saved culture. Light shines into darkness, John chapter 1 says, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This isn't a time to shrink back. This is the best news there has ever been in this generation. It's never been as good as it is right now. Because the harvest has never been whiter than it is now. So, having so much fun. So what do we do? As a church, as people, what do we do with this? I'll tell you what we do. This is the word that the Lord put in my my heart. (laughs) And if you grew up like I did in charismatic church, this word, this is going to scare you. This is the statement. Return to orthodoxy. Return to orthodoxy. It's not quite as powerful as you thought it was going to be, but let me explain. I grew up, I grew up in a charismatic church, man. We, there was people in our church who would run the aisles, hoop and holler and shout. And that's good. I'm happy with that. But growing up and even coming up through Bible college and stuff, if I heard the word orthodoxy, do you know what I thought of? I don't know what you guys think of, but I thought of, I thought of the Eastern Orthodox Church 
And I, I thought of like guys with huge beards. I can't grow a beard to save my life. So I was like, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> but I thought of this guys with like huge beards speaking in Latin. And, and in these long golden robes with giant sepulchers and, and all this kind of, you know, staffs and, and big breastplates of gold and, and, and all this high religion. That's what my mind has thought when I hear the word orthodox or orthodoxy. And then about 10 years ago, I met a guy named Peter Bertolero on Facebook. You don't know who Peter Bertolero is. He's not famous. He's not important. As a matter of fact, he's in heaven now. He pastored a church smaller than ours in a town called Clovis, California. Clovis, California is about as far away from North Carolina as you can get in the eastern continental United States. I interacted with Peter Bertolero on Facebook, and I thought, I don't even remember how we connected. But I found out he was a pastor, and so I stalked him. And I went to his church's website, and I was like, I wonder what this guy preaches. And he preached a message. He preached a series of messages on the baptism of the Holy Spirit that blessed me so substantially. And in the first message I listened to, he talked about this word, orthodoxy. This was 10 years ago. And I know that this is the reason I connected with Peter Bertolero. We, we ended up exchanging emails and I, I, I had a relationship with this guy that I never met in person and he's gone home to be with Jesus. I can't wait to meet Pastor Peter when I get to heaven because he said something in his message that I knew I needed to hear and God used Facebook to connect me to a church in California smaller than ours to teach me a lesson. And Pastor Peter was great, man. He used to, he had this strong men's ministry and he, he used to call me young blood in our emails. I never even talked to him on the phone. We just emailed each other. I'm friends with his kids on Facebook. I, I've never met these people. <laughs> and he would say, how's the church doing, young blood? I'd be like, it's good, Pastor Peter. But he used this word orthodoxy and he defined it for me and it changed my life forever and I want to do it for you. The word orthodox is a Latin word that is the compound of two Latin words. The word doxa, which means, which is where we get the word doctrine. Doxa is doctrine. It's what we believe and why we believe it. How many of you know that doctrine is important? Amen. Doxa means doctrine or belief. Ortho orthodoxy. Ortho means straight. When you, when you're a kid and your teeth are all kind of crooked, who do you go to get them straightened? The orthodontist. My daughter Abigail's downstairs. She just got her braces taken off like a month ago. She's got the prettiest smile. She had a crossbite when she was born, and the orthodontist came and straightened it all out. When you, when you let me give it to you this way, when you break your leg, you know, because you're doing whatever you're doing, and your leg goes, 
like this, and it's your bottom of your foot's pointing that way. What, what do you, who do you go see? You go see the orthopedic surgeon, and you get your leg put back together because your leg is only going to work if it's straight, if it's in alignment. You can't walk on a broken leg, neither can you live on a broken belief system. Orthodoxy is important because orthodoxy means that what we believe is all in alignment and set in order the way God wants it to be. We'll never live right until we believe right. And the Holy Spirit's been speaking to my heart. Return to orthodoxy. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believe we preach a good word in this church. I don't believe that we're off doctrinally, way off in left field somewhere. In fact, I work really hard to preach the word to you and only the word. But I believe in our culture. Here, here's, here's what this word orthodoxy means. It's relative not just to the church, but to our culture. Our culture, if it's going to be healthy again, needs to have a return to orthodoxy, needs to have a return to right believing. That's why y'all are here. Because you have, a re- you have a responsibility as the body of Christ to go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel to them. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19? He said, all authority in all of heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of every nation. How do we disciple nations? It's through the power of right believing. It's through the power of teaching right doctrine, straight doctrine, orthodoxa. It changed my life forever, understanding what that word actually means. It's not just, it's not, that's not orthodoxy, that's religion. Orthodoxy, I got you, didn't it? Yeah. Orthodoxy is right believing. It's getting your leg put back in place so that it can heal. How many people in this world are totally broken because their belief is wrong? It's broken, it's fragmented, it's messed up, it's twisted, it's tangled up. And people, and they're just trying so hard to figure out what's real. That's why this is the greatest generation to be alive on the face of the earth. Because right now we've got the biggest opportunity to shine the light in the darkest of dark. And I'm here for it, man. I'm not about to be intimidated by it. There's 22,000 college students on that campus over there. There's like a thousand of them that believe Jesus. That means we got a big harvest field of messed up doctrine to go out and disciple. Oh, man. Oh, if we only could grasp the opportunity that God has put in front of us. There's five concepts I want to give you today. Five. If I was preaching to pastors, I would spend more time hitting this home. But I'm actually going to unpack this all next year. Five concepts for discipleship. This is what happens when my wife and I go to the beach for a weekend, by the way. Josh gets stirred up. 
Five concepts for discipleship. These are, these are theology words, okay? So if you want to write them down, you can. Or if you just want to write down what they mean, that's probably even easier. Number one, these are five things that we need to give our culture. Five things that every one of those college students out there needs more than they need, you know, a gift card to Starbucks. These are the five things that they need. Number one, Christology. Christology. These five things, by the way, I stole from a pastor named Brady Boyd. He's awesome. These five things, Christology. What is Christology? It's the study of Jesus. This generation needs a a thorough understanding of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close with a scripture that's going to that's going to hit that point home. So I'll come back to Christology. Number one, Christology, study of Christ. Number two, theology. It's the study of God. The Greek word theos is the word for God. So the study of God. Why, why theology second? Why not theology first? Because if your theology is void of an understanding of Jesus, you have bad theology. So Christology comes before theology, knowing who Christ is. This, is. this is the whole point of all of Paul's writing in the New Testament. All of Paul's writing is about Christology. It's about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ, the Lord of eternity. So Christology comes first. Theology comes second, the study of God. How do we relate to God? Number three, this is where all my denominational friends get scared. Pneumatology. Pneumatology is the study and an understanding of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Bible has some stuff to say about the Holy Ghost? <laughs> I don't know if you've picked this up yet, but you can tell one, two, three. Son, Father, Holy Ghost. Those are the first three things on my list of five. Christology, theology is the study of God. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, understanding what role the Holy Spirit plays in our redemption, in our sanctification, in our living, in the power of God. The Holy Spirit is more than just revival. The Holy Spirit is the one who allows you to be a Christian. You couldn't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can't come before the throne of God without the Holy Ghost. Number four, I get excited about these last two. You may get excited about all five. Number four is ecclesiology. The heck is ecclesiology? It's the study of the church. The word ecclesiology comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia is the word Jesus uses in Matthew 18 when he says, on this rock I will build my church. It's the Greek word ekklesia. Klesia is the word that comes from kaleo, which means to be called and ek is the word which means out. So, so when you think about the word church, what you ought to think about is this word, called out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, come out from among them and be separate. Jesus, the head of the church, is calling his church out of the kingdom of darkness and into perfect relationship with him. And we need to know what that relationship looks like. We need ecclesiology. 
Can I tell you that the reason I'm I am thoroughly convinced of this finally, I finally got an answer. I was praying, talking to the Lord, Lord, why do people not seem to care about church anymore? Like it was just, I mean, it's just like when we were kids, you just, you go to church, it's what we do. We're Christians. Why do people not seem to care about church anymore? It's a simple answer because they don't have an ecclesiology. They don't understand why the church is so important to their lives. Number five. This is, this is where you get, this is, this is the key to getting every student on board. Missiology. Christology, theology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, missiology. Missiology, missy what? Missicongeniality, what? Missy Elliot, no. Missiology, a study of the mission of the church the study of the mission of the kingdom of God. Do you know that God's kingdom has a mission? And guess what? We're all a part of that mission. And what I love about Generation Z and about is even the younger millennials is they care more about mission than they do about anything else. Why else would you take a pay cut to go work somewhere where your time and your effort really is just benefiting the mission of something else. I talk to young people and I say, well, you know, how, what, what are you going to do for your careers? Well, I don't know. I, I, they want to do something that matters. They want to do something that, that counts. They want to feel like they're a part of a mission. They want real life experience. We have to spend our time educating and bringing the body of Christ and the world around us into the study of Christ, the study of God, the study of the Holy Spirit, the study of the church, and the study of the mission. I want to close with a verse that touches on that first point of Christology. The church at Corinth was a lot like the church in America. It was a church of excitement, but a church that lacked spiritual depth. So when you go read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you need to understand that Paul wrote both of those letters to correct the church in Corinth. Paul was the orthopedic surgeon that was writing these letters to pop them back into alignment. And it's amazing to me how Paul starts his, his first letter to the Corinthian church by reminding them of how they got started. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read beginning in verse 1. Everybody okay? I hope this stirs you up as much as it stirs me up. Because I tell you what, the Lord, the Lord is pointing us in a direction and I'm enjoying it. I'm here for the ride. <laughs> I 
the Spirit of God spoke something to me before we read 1 Corinthians 2. This is in my notes. So once again, this is a prophetic sermon. So what God's saying is what we need to hear. We were in prayer a month ago, and I, I came to our Monday prayer meeting, which I don't always do. Sometimes I come to our Monday night meetings. Our prayer team meets downstairs. Gracie leads it. When Gracie's not here, Andrew leads it. And, and we were downstairs, and it was a small group of us. And towards the end of that meeting, the Lord gave me a very clear word for me as the pastor, for my wife, and for our church as a whole. And the word was something like this. I've positioned Hope Church as the tip of a spear. I've positioned Hope Church as the tip of a spear. That what God has put in our hearts as a ministry is to press forward into places that he wants to take his body. And he's inviting us to be part of the tip of that spear and press into places that others are wanting to go but don't know how to get there. I don't know if that means anything to you. That rocks my world. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Verse 2. My, one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament. For I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. Paul birthed an entire church that would impact this region of Greece and would end up accounting for two of his letters in the New Testament in the, the city of Corinth. And the only thing he had when he went there was all I want to know about, among you is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is Christology. That is the mandate of God on the church in our day is to preach Christ and him crucified. I had a conversation with a dear, a dear person in my life the other day and this person called me and they were distressed. This person was crying on the phone and they, and they said to me, I, I, I'm just, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I, I'm, I feel like I'm at my wit's end. I've, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm ready to turn. I'm just ready to throw in the towel and be like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And I said to this person, I said, listen to me and listen closely. Everything you need is in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Everything you, you are out here looking for what is next and what you need and try to figure out how do I get what my heart longs for. Everything you need is in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. I don't care about your background. I don't care about what you, where you came from. I don't care what brought you into church this morning. I don't care what sin you were doing six minutes before you pulled into the parking lot. All I want to know is, do you know Christ Jesus and do you know him crucified? Have you encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? Because everything you need is in him. That is the message that the hedonistic, secular world around us absolutely needs to know. And I'm here to tell you, it's going to have a deeper impact now 
than it did 20 years ago because the culture has changed. And we're going to see people return to the body of Christ. I know that I listen to a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of well-meaning people, a lot of great leaders. And there's all this talk about what is church going to look like in 10 years and what's going to be all digital and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And I'm like, you know what? Hooey Louie on the devil. Because Paul, the writer of Hebrews says that, that we ought to for, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I believe people are returning to church. Why? Because they're understanding why it's so important. And people that have never darkened the door of a church are going to have Damascus Road encounters with Jesus. And they're going to say, brethren, what must I do to be saved? And I don't know about you, I'm ready for it. He says, I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He says, for when I was with you, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Verse four, not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God. That your faith, verse five, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God you're being invited into an opportunity to absolutely change a generation. Not just me, not just my wife. I've gotten tremendous clarity about my role as a pastor. I'll be talking about this in months coming. My role as a pastor is not to do a bunch of ministry. My role as a pastor is to equip you to do ministry. Ephesians 4 says that my job is to give you the tools to go out and shape a generation for the gospel. We're raising up leaders. We're raising up ministers. We're raising up people whose families are going to be a testimony of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That their faith out there may not rest in the wisdom of men. We see what the wisdom of men produces, and it ain't great but in the power of God. Will you come with me? Let's go together. Come on, stand up to your feet. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.